we jump into today's, to today's message, I want to just take a minute and let them fix my microphone. No. I want to take a minute and just what uh, John Maxwell always calls celebrating the win, which means if we're working together as a team, a team has goals, and when we score, we want to celebrate. So if you have a touchdown dance that you want to do, this is the time to do it. Because let me just say, we need to celebrate the win of last weekend. Last weekend was a huge win. Because so many people stood up, put their hands, got involved, and just made, number one, light all the work. But number two, really let the community know how much they're loved. Let our heroes, our our officers, and our first responders know how much we love them and how much we support them. And over and over again, and we keep hearing it flooded in and in, that the officers were just overwhelmed by our love and our support. And especially, like I said last week, in such a, a dark time right now in our nation where it seems like everybody's rising up against our officers, um, that there's still a band <laughs> of believers that do love, do support, and, and do really honor them as our heroes. You know, that they they sacrifice their life every day. Jacob, really, are you falling asleep already? I haven't even started preaching yet, buddy. He's like, well, sorry. <laughs> that they really sacrifice every day for our safety. So I don't know about you, but um, they have a tender spot in my heart that, you know, when I see them, I don't just give them the nod, but I give them the nod. Sign of respect. Thank you. Thank you. Sign of respect. But let me just say definite win for us. And as we go on, every event we have, every service we have, everything we do, wherever we're at, let's just look at others as being more important than ourselves, and you'll celebrate wins every day. You know, that was just a freebie. That had nothing to do with the message. But I think it's important that we do celebrate our wins. All right, today's message has been stirring in my heart for quite a while. And hopefully, with the Holy Spirit's help, the same message will begin stirring in your heart today. The title of today's message is Dream Big. And I know at some point in your life, whether it's at school, in your uh, locker room, on the football team, or, or maybe sitting watching your favorite movie, you've heard this message preached to you spoken to you in one form or the other that, come on, we can do it, dream big, dream big, you know, we need to reach farther, you know, you've heard it. But I'm hoping today that I'll be able to convey not just a hype-filled, energetic, go-get-a message that fizzles out in a couple days, but that somehow by the Holy Spirit's empowering that it will be able to pour a passion within you that will fuel you to keep going, not just hype you up, but to keep going. That's what I'm believing for, and that's what I've been praying for, because that's what's been birthed in me so many years ago, and it seems like that fuel and that fire just keeps getting brighter and burning hotter and hotter within me, almost like 
Was it Jeremiah that said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones and I can't contain it. I've got to let it out. I just got to keep going because God is such a big God and he wants to be such a big God in you. And we tend to limit him by what we can do instead of letting him out of the box and allowing him to do what only he can do. So I'm hoping that you'll have that passion burn within you today. that will help you reach beyond what you can accomplish on your own and begin living out what only God can accomplish through you. I'm praying God's heavenly vision will be revealed to you today. So turn with me over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. This is where... We start to hear a, a discourse between Jesus and his disciples. You know, he's been, he's been doing his work. He's been doing his thing. The religious people are coming against him. The, you know, crowd is kind of following at a distance. So finally he sits alone here with his disciples. And in chapter 16, starting at verse 13, says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who, oh sorry, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is, was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I just ask right now that you anoint your word, anoint your servant to preach your word with boldness and with simplicity. And Holy Spirit, carry these words and pierce the hearts of the people that we will be doers and not just hearers of your word. Right here is where Jesus revealed to Peter his heavenly vision for his life. He said, Peter, you are the rock Upon which I will build my church. That's it. Peter? Come on. It's not just a few chapters earlier that Peter was the cursing sailor out there. You know, hey. You know, come on. Peter? Really? And if God's an all-knowing God, he knows what he's about ready to do. Peter? Come on. Really? God doesn't look at your life. He doesn't, he, he doesn't look, because remember, he's the God of yesterday, today, and forever, right? And in, in his vast, all-knowing wisdom, he sees it all laid out at once. 
And he doesn't look at that and say, okay, there's Shannon right there in the middle of everything. I see how she was raised. I see where she's going. And right in the middle, okay, Shannon, it's on you. I'm going to build my, no, wait a minute. No, I know what she's going to do. No, not Shannon. Over here. No. He doesn't pick and choose. Okay, I, I guess mm, Wayne's a really good candidate. I'm going to build my church on Wayne. Wayne's going to. He doesn't look at your life and then prepare the plan. A heavenly vision for you means it was birthed in heaven. Birthed in heaven. Every one of us was created with a heavenly vision for our life. And that, let me just say this. There's a difference between God's perfect plan and your imperfect choices. See, people like to try to make them synonymous that, oh, it was God's perfect plan, the things that I did in my teenage years. Baloney! There is no way. Tammy, do you have, do you have that? What's there? Let me, let me just give you, show you a little something. See, oh, I know, a little baby. Oh, hello, baby. Okay, hello, baby. It's like a parent who gets into that, that newborn baby right, right in the hospital. And God, our Heavenly Father, wrapping his arms around us, looks at our precious face and says, My perfect plan for you is to fall into temptation, to give in to lust, to sleep with your girlfriend before you ever get married, to have a few babies out of wedlock, so that you're struggling to make ends meet, and then, no, no, like a parent would with a newborn baby, don't you have dreams and visions and plans for your child, do they include anything that would hurt them, harm them, come on, think about it, oh, baby, no, it's okay. Actually, it wasn't even a baby. Tammy, that's the best you could give me, Tigger. Come on. Yeah. No, God's perfect plan for you, God's heavenly vision for your life is perfect. But in order for him to be a loving father, he gives us a free will to choose. Otherwise, it's like uh, mail order bride, I get. I, I don't think that's okay. So God's perfect plan. Now let me just make this real simple. God's perfect plan for you, right? Loves you enough to give you free choice, free will, free choice. You screw up. You make some bad choices. In God's loving mercy, he says, if you love me, if you dedicate, if you turn back to me, I'll turn all that was evil to good. Does that mean that our bad choices were good? Does that mean that our bad choices were God, was God's perfect plan for us? No. No. There was a perfect plan. There is. Sorry, there is a perfect plan for your life that was birthed in heaven before you even came to be. 
And one of my favorite scriptures in Psalms 139 is laid out so clear that it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. How amazing your thoughts are concerning me. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I, am, when I awake, you are still with me. All the days ordained for me, your heavenly vision, God's heavenly vision for your specific life was written, was birthed in heaven and written before you were even born. It's not based on how good you are. It's not based on what you do or what you don't do. It is specifically born, birthed in heaven. Then you were created. Yet the minute we start breathing and standing up on our own, everybody who's ever raised a two-year-old, what's the first words? Mine, 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 mine. No. I remember saying no to teaching them no because... In my house, I mean, we raised a few kids. In my house, I didn't move things out of the way for kids. As a matter of fact, when I first started having life group at my house years ago, and I had a parent come in and take everything off my end table, everything off my coffee table, I was in the kitchen, I walked out, and I went, hey, where'd everything go? Well, whatever her kid's name was, might touch it. I said, so you say no. I said, put the stuff back. She's like, what? I said, put my stuff back. She put it back. Her daughter walked up there, and I said, no. And she goes, oh. I said, see, it works. But the first time the two-year-old turns back at you and says, no, thinking, yeah, that's life right there. We were born selfish. We have to be disciplined to put that appetite, that selfish appetite, under control. The minute we start breathing and standing, it's all about us. It turns to the world. It's our wants, our needs, our dreams, our visions, our hopes. It's all about us. Let's keep reading. See what happened to Peter. In Matthew 16, we're still looking at Matthew 16, down at verse 21 now. It says, from that time on, right after he revealed to Peter, this is your heavenly vision for your life. This is the reason you were created. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began explaining to his disciples, easy for you to say, his disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he will be killed, but on the third day he'll be, he laid it all out for him. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. See, Peter was not just a bold man. He was a stupid man. 
He just said you are the son of God, the living Christ. But now he has the guts to rebuke him. What are you saying? He, Let never, Lord. He said, I, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus tells Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. Why? Because he's only thinking like a man. He's, he's only thinking about himself, you know, really. Thinking, I, I don't want Jesus to leave. No, no, Jesus, this can't happen. I won't let it happen to you. Who are you saying that to? The Son of God. You just proclaimed he was the Son of God. And now you're saying, I'm not going to let that happen to you. You can't leave me. And Jesus said, you're a stumbling block to me. And I've heard people say it's because Jesus was being tempted right there that he could just let Peter do No, he, no, he wasn't. He's a stumbling block to him because God's heavenly vision, heavenly plan, Peter stood to block it. He said, when you look at man's concern, when you're concerned more about manly things than you are about godly things, you are a stumbling block to the heavenly vision. You stand and block it. You stand in opposition to it. Why? Because he was focusing on human manly, worldly concerns, and not on God things. We've all been given a heavenly vision for our life. Remember, even before we were born. What's our responsibility? Keep to it. Keep, well, hello. Keep focused on it. Don't get distracted by human concerns. If we do, we will become a stumbling block to God's plan. He cannot bring his heavenly vision into our reality if we are more concerned about worldly things than God things. Jesus goes on to explain how. Here it is. How? Keep reading. Verse 24. How do we keep focused on a, the heavenly vision God created for us? Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with all of His angels, and then He will reward or judge each person according to what He has done. Let me ask you, what are you living for right now? What's the one thing that plagues your mind all the time? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your finances? What do you think about the most? We'll tell you what you're living for right now. Your dreams, your wants, your ways, or God's will. God's wants, 
God's way? What are you exchanging God's heavenly vision for your life for? Because that's what you're doing. What's more important? More money? More friends? More family time? More free time? More TV time? It's time to dream bigger. Bigger than what you can create. Bigger bigger than yourself. You've been planning only what you can do. God wants you to get a hold of what only he can do. It's time to dream big. Craig Rochelle said, you can either make excuses or make a difference, but you can't do both. You can either make excuses or make a difference, but you can't do both. Michelangelo said, the greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it, but that it's too low and we reach it. I should apologize right now. I've got lots of quotes because my journals are plagued with quotes to keep my vision set bigger than myself, to keep dreaming bigger than myself, to keep believing God for bigger things. My journals are just just plagued <laughs> with these kind of quotes. So I, please, I apologize for all the quotes that you're going to hear today, but hopefully one of them will stick with you. While Paul was on trial for preaching the gospel, he explained how he received his heavenly vision. And if you're a Christian for even more than a few months, you've probably already heard this story. Remember, who was Paul before he was named Paul? He was Saul. And he had what people call the Damascus Road experience. He was shown his heavenly vision, the purpose for his life, right on the way to do what he thought he was doing, God's work, which was uh, taking Christians captive, putting them in prison, killing them, whatever. He thought that he needed to stop the way, as it was called. And along his way to stop the way, he met God's way, which was on the way to Damascus. So in Acts 26, starting in verse 12, it says, on one of these journeys, I, Paul, was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, and he was standing before King Agrippa at this time, so he says, about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me. Actually, the earlier um, story says that he was knocked off his horse. And he saw a brighter light than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And one of these days I'll preach on that because that, that is just good. I never, I thought it was like, oh, misprint, it was goats. And why is he kicking against the goats anyway? I don't know. Anyway, but that's for a whole nother story. No. Why do you persecute me? Then I ask, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. 
I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Then Paul makes this statement to King Agrippa in the, verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Think of that. Who was Paul before he was Paul? He was Saul. What was he doing? He was a murderer of Christians. Thinking he was doing God's bidding for him. When God said, hello, what are you doing? I birth a perfect heavenly vision for your life. And let me reveal that to you. And he revealed that to him right there. And sent him on his way. And then here's Paul now years later standing before King Agrippa on trial. And he says, this is what, here is my heavenly vision. God had a plan for my life before I was created. He had to reveal that to me. And when he revealed that to me, I spent every day of my life till this day, and I have not been disobedient to that heavenly vision. Wow. Can you say that right now? About the heavenly vision that you were created for. Could you stand on trial and say, I have not been disobedient to that heavenly vision? It's time to dream big. Here it is. Hate to say it. Three points. Three points. How do I dream big? Number one, get God's vision for your life. Get God's vision for your life. St. Patrick, no, he wasn't a little leprechaun who liked green. Let me tell you, St. Patrick, who lived between 385 to 461 A.D., was a man zealous for the things of God. As a missionary, he defied an Irish king's edict that restricted the lighting of candles on Easter Eve. King Logier of Tara had decreed that no one was allowed to light any fires until a pagan spring festival was launched by the lighting of a fire on Slain Hill. Patrick chose to honor God in spite of the threat of death. And King Logier was so impressed with Patrick's brave devotion that he let him continue his missionary work unhindered. An 8th century monk, Dallin for Gail, pen the words to the song, Be Thou My Vision, as a tribute to St. Patrick's wholehearted loyalty to God. And the lyrics to that song that we've sung, Be Thou My Vision, says, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence is my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great father, I thy true son. 
thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Be thou my battle shield, sword for the fight. Be thou my dignity, thou my delight. Thou my soul shelter, thou my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward, O power of my power. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. You need to get God's vision for your life. And don't think he doesn't have one for you. We just read it. Before you were even knitted together in your mother's womb, all the days ordained for you were written in his book. You need to ask him, reveal that to me, God. What is your vision for my life? That heavenly vision. Stop just doing what you can do and begin living out what you were created to do. Ask God to awaken in you that heavenly vision for your life. Someone once said, you know, I, I think I'm just going to start tagging my name there. Because if someone once said, I just said it. So Brenda said that dissatisfaction and discouragement are not caused by the absence of things, but the absence of vision. Bill Copeland said the trouble with not having a goal is that you can spend your life running up and down the field and never scoring. Okay, here's a little warning. The Surgeon General, no, I'm just saying, warning. When God begins to share, when God begins to reveal his heavenly vision for your life, it should scare you. I can't. I can't. I can't do that. I can't do that. Good. It should be bigger than you. Because if it's not bigger than you, if it's something you can accomplish, what do you need him for? Where does he get the glory in that? It's when he can look at a... I'm not going to go through all the... Anyway, when he can look at something that the world looked at as a junk and refuse and a life that was wasted, and say, you know what? I'm going to clean you off, going to put a little crown on your head, going to put a nice white robe on you, and I'm going to push you out there and stand you in front of a bunch of people, and you just love on them. Then God gets glory. And I was just saying this to one of my leaders just a couple weeks ago. I have more confidence in someone who comes to me and says, Pastor Brenda, I I can't do that. What you're asking me to do, I can't do that. I'm like, yeah. Then you are the man for the job. They're like, what? Because I know you're going to be on your face nodding before God, saying, God, you better show up or I'm going to die. I've studied the life of Catherine Coleman, and 
the, she used to cling. It says she would cling onto the curtains in the back. And they would hear her cry out, Holy Spirit, if you don't show up, this is for nothing. I am nothing. I can't give them nothing. I have nothing to offer but you. It's when people come to me and say, you know what, I, have, uh, I am really good at speaking before people that I want to put them in cleaning the bathroom. Because I don't need somebody's talent. God doesn't need your talent. He doesn't need anything but you. So that he can pour himself through you. Your natural to meet his super becomes supernatural. Your ordinary with his extra becomes extraordinary. Or extraordinary, whatever you want to say. But it's when we come and say, what is it, God, right here? That he reveals that to us and he puts that heavenly vision birthed back into us, lights it on fire and says, now go. Start having some determined dreams. Allow God to be the great big God, the good father that he is. Stop trying to put your dreams, your vision, down to bite-sized manageable pieces. God's bigger than that. Have some determined dreams, whatever. I love it when I get ready to go to bed. I, you know, I'm listening to the, I have the word read to me because I want determined dreams. Or I listen to somebody, you know, like one of the preachers or pastors from, I love listening to the old time evangelists and start speaking into my life so I can have determined dreams. I can go bigger, go farther, dream more. You know, God, you can do, I can touch multitudes, not because of who I am, but because of who God is through us. All we have to do is let him. Let him. Number two. So number one was start, where is it? Get God's vision for your life. Number two, set your eyes on what no one else can see but you and God. Set your eyes on what no one else can see but you and God. Jonathan Swift said, vision is the art of seeing the invisible. Walt Disney has a, a perfect history of this over and over and over again. I mean, I've studied that man's life. And over and over again, he was rejected and refused by people. You have no talent. You're no good for you. You're not creative. Get out of here. Walt Disney was a man of vision. He never gave up. Early in his career, he was fired from a newspaper because they told him that they thought he had no good ideas. That just made Disney try harder. When he was starting out in Kansas City, he couldn't sell his cartoons. Some hinted that he had no talent, but Walt Disney had a dream, so he set out to conquer his foes. He found a minister who would pay him a small salary to draw advertising pictures for his church. He didn't even have a place to live, so the church let him stay in their mouse-infested garage, and actually one of them mice he ended up nicknaming Mickey. The early days were tough, but that remarkable creative visionary refused to give up. Walt would occasionally present some unbelievable, extensive dream to his board about an idea he was entertaining. And almost without exception, the members of his board would gulp, blink, and stare back at him in disbelief. 
resisting even the thought of such an idea. But unless every member resisted the idea, Disney usually didn't pursue it. And yes, you heard me right. Unless everyone unanimously resisted the idea, he wouldn't even pursue it. But if they all resisted, said it couldn't happen, that's the idea he would go after. Is it any wonder that Disneyland and Disney World are now realities? You see, when Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida opened in 1974, Mrs. Disney was sitting beside Walter Cronkite. Walt Disney had passed away just a few years earlier. Walter Cronkite wanted to say just the right thing to Mrs. Disney, so he leaned over and he said, wouldn't it be great if Walt were here to see this today? And Mrs. Disney replied wisely, if Walt had not seen this first, you would not be seeing this today. You need to see what only you and God can see and keep that your focus. You see, faith is a fuel that will keep us moving forward that, toward that vision. This type of faith is a requirement. Dream big and trust God for the impossible. And here it is, key point. If you get nothing else I say, if you can just remember this one point, if you can focus on the victory, you will not lose strength during the battles. But you must focus on the victory. If you continue to focus on the victory, all the little battles won't matter. Because that's the victory. It's right there. It's in sight. And I've already been promised a spot right there. So all these little battles, they're not going to stop me. They won't weigh you down. You won't throw up your arms every time a little temptation or your circumstances shake up a little bit and say, <laughs> God must not love me. It's like, hello, I already have the victory for you. I've got this humongous, great, big, heavenly vision for your life. Here it is. As a matter of fact, remember he even went down to hell and said, hey, here's the keys. Everything you want, just ask. Right here it is. Here's the vision. All you have to do is stay focused that that's the victory. It's already been won. See what only you and God can see in those little battles. Won't stop you. And number three, take the first step and don't look back. Take the first step. Vaclav Havel, and I know I just slaughtered that guy's name or her name. I don't know said, vision is not enough. It must be combined with venture. It is not enough to stare up the steps. We must step up the stairs if we want to go anywhere. That's wisdom. Just standing at the bottom of the steps, looking up. Oh, that's beautiful up there. You want to go up there? Do you want to go? You have to step up. It's not enough just to have vision. It's not enough just to see what God sees. It's not enough for you to just know this is God's heavenly vision for my life. And now I'm looking at it. I'm going to stay focused on it, and then I'm just going to stand here. Thomas Edison said, vision without execution is just hallucination. Soren Kierkegaard 
prayer in these names, O oh Lord Jesus. The Danish philosopher told a story about a goose who was wounded and had landed in a barnyard when he was young with some chickens. He played with the chickens. He ate with the chickens. After a while, that goose actually thought he was a chicken. One day, a flight of geese came flying over, migrating to their home in the south. They gave a honk up there in the sky, and he heard it. Something was calling him to the skies. Something stirred within the heart of that goose, and he began to flap the wings that he hadn't used before. He rose a few feet in the air, but then he looked around and saw the chickens, and he stopped. He settled back again into the mud of the barnyard. He heard the call, but he settled for less. God is calling you to fulfill your heavenly vision. Don't settle for anything less. Stop waiting for all the questions to be answered. I hear this all the time over and over again at altar calls. I hear, would you just pray that God's calling me to do this, but I don't know how to do it. Who cares? Do it. Step out. Well, I don't know which way to go. Just start stepping and he'll direct you. I mean, I, I was raised in a house of a Navy man who told me all the time about these great illustrations of the great ships and how great ships, I mean, it even says that in the Bible, are, are steered by what? One tiny little rudder. But you can't steer a ship that's tied to the dock. Could you imagine the captain of that ship tied up to the dock and says, we are going across the sea. Okay, but Captain, we're still tied to the dock here. Well, I didn't know. I, I'm gonna. There's unknowns out there, so I'm just gonna wait till I have all the answers of all the our whole trip before I, I untie us from the dock. What is that called? Mutiny, right? Is that what would happen? Right? Throw that. He's crazy. Woo! No, you just go. You calibrate as you go. I mean, hey, I feel like I need a big wheel. Right? You just calibrate as you go. You're like, I think I see a storm rising. Let's go this way. Go this way. Go this way. Let's go this way. Okay, that was too far that way. Let's go back this way. Let's go back this You just calibrate as you go. You start going and you're like, ah, that's not it. Let's head this way a little bit. Yeah, this feels better. Let's go this way. Paul, the great missionary we've already been talking about, was quoted as saying, I'm heading to Jerusalem, but man, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get there. But he still went there. He didn't have to have all the answers. Abraham, I remember when God was calling Brian and I to step out of Charlotte Assembly of God four or five, four or five years ago now. It was scary. I mean, Charlotte Assembly of God was always home church. It's always home. I couldn't imagine, for me, even working with Pastor Mark, years and years, it was, it was like, for the three and a half years I moved to Traverse City to take the youth pastor position, I remember having the conversation with Pastor Mark, I feel like it's only a long missions trip. And it was, that's what it turned out to be. I stepped in just as a senior pastor was leaving, the youth pastor stepped up to the senior pastor position, he turned at me, he goes, Brenda, I've been praying he goes, in my actual words, because I met him some time ago, years before that, with the youth pastor I was serving, and 
that youth pastor was David Wilson, used to brag on my assistant, Brenda Maurer, who's always right there, right at my right hand, always makes me look better than I am. And he said, I actually started praying, God, send me a Brenda Maurer. So when we started feeling this call, I think I'm supposed to move up to Traverse City. What's up in Traverse City? I don't know. And I said, just at that right time, and he looked at me and he confessed, I prayed for you to come up here. I said, well, here I am. Thanks a lot. And for three and a half years, I filled, I raised up leadership, and they were, I were in the youth ministry, and I was able to turn it over and, anyway, be there at, right, at just the right time. But when God was calling us, and we came back to Charlotte, and then when God was calling us, it's time to step out and go, it was scary. Because I remember sitting in Pastor Mark's office. He's like, Brenda, I know. God's been speaking to me the last year, and I was scared to tell you because I didn't want you to think I was firing you. He said, but I knew God was calling you to step out. It's time for you to go and start a church or whatever he's got. And I said, what's he telling you? He's like, I don't know. I said, I don't know. I said, how can I step out into the I don't know? And God started showing me Abraham. He did the same thing. He said, Abraham, I'm calling you out. Gather up your family. Gather up all your livestock. Everybody, gather it all up. And Abraham says, okay, God, here we are. Where are we going? He said, just that way. What? Just head that way. But we want to cry and sit in our seats, and when God starts birthing this this heavenly vision and revealing this heavenly vision in us, and we're like, I can't, I can't, how are you going to do that, God? And I am not moving until you give me all the details. I want to know all the details, how you're going to do this, how you're going to do how, 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 how. Let me just be the voice of truth for you and use an old illustration from a movie. You can't handle the details. You can't handle the details. Our mind cannot compute all the details. But let, if I could just have a great big whiteboard right here to draw this out, let me, let me try to illustrate for you a second. God in his infinite wisdom, you, you guys all see my whiteboard right here? And I'm staying back here so you're not looking at my butt. Right here, a great big whiteboard, right? God says that he has a heavenly vision for every one of you before you were even created, okay? And we got blah, 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 however many in this room. Think about the world. Hey, Siri, what's the population of the world today? Hmm. Looks like the population of the world today was about 7.36 billion people. 7.36 billion people. God, in his infinite wisdom, his whiteboard, says I'm at, what's the date today? August 21st, 2016. There's going to be 7.63 billion people in the world today. So here's a heavenly vision, heavenly vision, heavenly vision, heavenly vision, heavenly vision, heavenly vision for 7.63 billion people and the heavenly vision because his word says that i that he wants no man to perish he wants all to be saved so that's his number one end goal right y'all believe that so for 7.63 billion people in the world today on this day he has got to create heavenly visions for each one of them that intersect with each one of them that touches every one of those 7.63 billion people so that they can hear the gospel, so that they have the opportunity to be saved, so they're all interchanging, all connecting, all coming together. 
But what happens when Colette says, I'm just comfortable sitting here and going to church once a week, and yeah, I know there's a heavenly vision for my life, but I'm just comfortable doing what I'm doing. And as long as I'm okay, I'm holding on until Jesus comes. What happens to all those other people that her life was supposed to intersect with and touch, speak the gospel to? Now all of a sudden in God's infinite wisdom, 7.63 billion people intersecting, but they're also, he loves them enough, he's given them a free will to choose. And so how many do you think out of those 7.63 billion people are still lost in their I'm doing life my own way? Even the ones that are calling themselves Christians. I just do Christianity my way. That aren't doing their heavenly vision and aren't connecting with those people. What's happening to those people that aren't getting touched? You see, your heavenly vision is bigger than you. Your part that you play, your piece in this puzzle we call life, is a lot bigger than what you can even imagine. When you look at that whiteboard of God's, how many people have slipped through your crack? I'm challenging you today to dream big. Robert F. Kennedy said, Some believe there is nothing one man or woman can do to change or to do against this enormous array of the world's ills, against misery, against ignorance or injustice or violence. Yet many of the world's great movements of thought and action have flowed from the work of a single man. A young monk began the Protestant Reformation. A young general extended an empire from Macedonia to the borders of the earth. And a young woman reclaimed the territory of France. It was a young Italian explorer who discovered the new world. And a 32-year-old Thomas Jefferson who proclaimed all men are created equal. Give me a place to stand, said Archimedes, and I will move the world. These men move the world, and so can we all, said Robert F. Kennedy. Again, I pray that this message will become a burning passion within you, not just a hyper message that you'll forget and it will fizzle out. A true passion that will continue to birth within you, pushing you to reach beyond what you can accomplish and allow God to do big things. His things, his heavenly vision through you. I pray that today you are awakened to God's heavenly vision for your life. So as we close, Amy comes back up, or Crystal comes back up. We have purposely started shortening the messages as much as we could so that we can have an extended time of worship and ministry at the altar. So when we finish the message, it's not for you to start looking at your watch and saying, I am going to beat the Baptist to the big boys. But that you can feel comfortable that we still have so much more ministry time.
Because a word is only a word. But when God touches you with his Holy Spirit and ignites that word that you just heard, that faith that will fuel you, that's where real ministry will happen. But for you to just sit there here and leave, it just doesn't accomplish what God wants, desires. So what we did today, this as I began the message, the ushers handed out these blank index cards. I want you to grab that index card. And I want you to write at the top of your index card with a pen. If you didn't get a pen, just wave your hand. One of the ushers will bring you a, a pen. Right at the top of that index card, God's heavenly vision for my life is... God's heavenly vision for my life is. And what we're going to do is right now, just where we're seated, we're going to begin praying individually. God, reveal that heavenly vision for my life to me right now because you just heard it he created it and if you start to write down something that you think yeah yeah I can do that put a line through it because it's not God's heavenly vision for your life it should scare you to the point that I can't do this by myself that's God's heavenly vision for your life. So begin praying. God, reveal it to me. Reveal it to me. And then as soon as you have something written down there, then ask him, God, tell me, what steps can I take right now? I don't need to know all the details, God. What steps can I take right now toward that vision, toward that goal, toward that heavenly vision for my life? What can I take? What steps can I take right now? Even if it's just a general direction, like Abraham. God, reveal it, reveal it, reveal it, reveal it, reveal it, reveal it. Holy Spirit, speak to him, speak to him, speak to him, speak to him. Spirit, by your wisdom, tell them what they can do. What steps can they take right now to head toward that? 
I pray for an infilling of the Holy Spirit, God, that would empower them to keep their focus on that heavenly vision, that the battles of life, the circumstances in this world, the cares of this world won't matter to them because they'll keep their eyes fixed on you, on the vision that only you and them can see. And strengthen them, strengthen them to take the next step and take the next step. Your word says the steps of a righteous man are ordered. Not the standing stills of a righteous man, but the steps of a righteous man are ordered. And so with every step, we can trust you more. You've put that step there. You've put that step there. You've put that step there. And you'll direct us. You'll guide us. You'll, you'll keep us re-navigating, recalculating to stay on course. We can trust you. visions into reality in the name of Jesus now we pull them down from heaven Lord you said whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven and we loose these visions into reality right now in the name of Jesus that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would empower everyone here today Lord to not only see that heavenly vision but to grab a hold of it and begin walking it out into reality now, now, Jesus' name, now. Stand up, stand up. If you're still trying to fill out that card, don't lay it down. But stand up, stand up. Don't leave here until that card's filled out. God's speaking it. You're just trying to listen to what you want him to say instead of what he's trying to say. Put all your preconceived ideas out the door and empty yourself before God and hear what he's trying to say to you. T.E. Lawrence, who wrote The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, said, All men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake in the day to find that it was just vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act upon their dream with open eyes and make it a reality. And that's what I am calling us to be today. Dangerous men and women. Not because of who we are, what we've done, or what we haven't done. Be but because of who God is and wants to be through us. If you let him dream big dreams in you, show you your heavenly vision with eyes wide open, start taking those steps of faith and live out that heavenly vision. Watch out, world. God's mission is coming to earth right now. Father, we just surrender to you, surrender to your vision, your way, your will, your plan, God. We're tired of living our plan and our dreams and, and, 
and our wants and our needs. We're tired and we're sorry, God, and we lay those down right now. They mean nothing. They're all vanity. They mean nothing. Because what can we exchange for our soul? What is really worth the price of your heavenly vision? Nothing compares to you, God, to living for you, God, to living out the vision that you have for us, God. Nothing compares. And God, we just surrender right now to that heavenly vision. Yes. I want to open up the altars. Altar team, come up front. But unless, if you need to just get alone with God, then take off your lanyard and, and get alone with God. Get up here with God if that's what you need to do. Otherwise, come up front. I want to open up the altars. If you're holding that card and it's still blank, come up front. We want to pray with you. If you're holding that card and what you wrote on that card is scaring you to death, come up front. We want to pray for you. Maybe this is the first time you're here today and you've never heard that God had a plan for your life even before you were born. Somehow you came here today and don't even know why you're here, but you're here because God's got a plan for you. And today's your day. Let today be your day to begin a new relationship with God, with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you knew that at one time, but you did what I said earlier. You just kind of went your own way and did things your own way. And now you're starting to hear the call heavenward. God's calling you back and you're hearing that call. Today's your day. And all you have to do is surrender your life. Here I am, God. Here I am, God. Here I am, God. It's all yours. All I am and all I am not is yours, God. I surrender to you. Forgive me for doing life on my own, for for seeking after my own will, my own wants. God, I lay it all down right now, and I surrender to you.